Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is for you. We are excited that you are here with us on The Full Life. I'm especially excited about today's program because we're going to be speaking about something or discussing something very near and dear to my heart, women in leadership and what the Bible has to say about women pastors. Don't go anywhere. Join us. in ministry and women in leadership in ministry. And what does the Bible say to that? It's certainly a hot topic that continues to be a topic of debate even today. And we're excited to examine it from both historical and current perspective, but most importantly, from a biblical perspective. And uh, we lucky to have our resident expert in, in Jenny. So I'm going to bring her and the rest of the panel in because I know we have a lot to talk about today. I wouldn't call me an expert, so let's not okay, not an expert. <laughs> but I think between all of us, we have some really great opinions. I know Hank, you know, comes from a background that has really respected women in leadership, and that's had a huge influence on his life. And I know, you know, in my life, I was raised; it was never an issue for a woman to be in ministry. Uh, but then, of course, I encountered it later in life. And I know Carolyn comes from a different background, from where there were some questions probably about that as well. So I think we're going to have a really great conversation today. Yeah. And I come from a really conservative background where women are not priests at all. So uh, so we'll definitely have a well-rounded conversation about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun. Here we go. Here we go. I've been excited Woo! about this one for a while. <laughs> but in your own life. Is there, uh, Nate, can you remember a woman in ministry that was particularly influential in your life, uh, in your faith? Well, oddly enough, who does come to my mind is Mother Teresa, because, mm. you know, I got our our life, we've been so involved with uh, humanitarian work and, and Bibles and blankets and food and medicines. And so I got the honor to go serve with Mother Teresa. And I will tell you, she... Did you really just say that you worked with Mother Teresa? I mean, I just want to make sure that our, our listeners before Hank, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Hank, but like, that's pretty huge. It, I would tell you what, it was more life-changing than I can even tell you. And I will never forget the day. What hit me so hard is because of growing up in ministry all my life. You know, I always have a saying that we get into ministry to serve and we end up having servants. Mm -hmm. Not her. And I just asked the Lord, I'm like, how does she have kings and queens and, and presidents and the, the, the biggest of names wanting to follow her and whatever she says? Yeah. And I really felt the Lord said in my heart, he says, because Carolyn, they want everything she has and she mm. wants nothing they have. That's right. And I'm telling you, it hit me so hard. I mean, I was a young girl. I was like 19 years old. And I remember coming back and saying to myself, the key to it all is, is hungering after the things of God and really not after the things of this world, because that's what she was all about. And it, it was life-changing. I'm not going to tease you. It was really life-changing. Mm -hmm. So even I grew up in some traditions that didn't necessarily honor or believe in women in ministry, you know, I was born into a praying family and most of the praying was done by my mom, um, grandparents, aunties. Uh, my first real experience in Sunday school and the first Sunday school teacher that I felt like, no, I wouldn't say just believed in me, but thought like 
I could possibly have a voice or something to say that was of value was my fifth grade um, Sunday school teacher, Carol De Gogliano. I still remember her. Um, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, all throughout my life has been people who've been pouring into me. When I started in ministry at the church I work at now, um, it was a staff filled with women. And I think that was kind of the final step of my evolution to see women who are not only highly gifted and skilled, but truly doing what God's called them to do, you know, mm -hmm. and since then I've worked with women all across different ministries in the church. So yeah, so I don't think I have any one woman. I just have a, a great praise to God because I don't think there's ever a time in my life that there wasn't a woman doing ministry or teaching me how to do ministry. Mm. That's awesome. Jenny. You know, my, the, the, where my brain immediately goes to is not somebody that I uh, knew personally that my family knew though, and had a huge influence and impact on me because of that is a woman named Catherine Kuhlman. Back at the Melody Land days where I was raised, people were kind of taken with her. And when I was young, I was prophesying at a young age and people would come up and say, you're the next Catherine Kuhlman. You're the next Catherine Kuhlman. Well, I didn't like that. I was an actress and I was a singer. I wanted to do that. And I was like, just please go away. You're weird. You know, anyway, long story short, it went from bothering me to why do people talk about this woman so much? And I began to study and read her life and her book, Daughter of Destiny, had such incredible impact on my life. To this day, you know, I, I quote her book, uh, mainly not because she knew everything. In all honesty, it was her humility at the very end of her book, towards the end of her life. She talked about the fact that, you know, people always would ask her, why are some people healed and other people were, you know, aren't? And she'd say, you know, when I was young in ministry, I had all the answers. I could tell you why. They didn't pray hard enough. They didn't pray long enough. They didn't believe enough. They didn't fast. They didn't this. And she said, now later in my life, I've recognized I have seen the believer come in early and tarry at the altar for hours and walk away without their healing. And I've seen the unbeliever walk through the room, or walk in the room and healed in a few moments. And all I can say to that is God is sovereign. That had such an impact on me because it took this pressure off of me to understand everything and to just say, Lord, I, I trust you. I don't understand because that's a big thing, you know, in, in ministry as a pastor sometimes. Well, why does this not happen? Why does that not happen? It sort of freed me up to just trust that God is sovereign. I've had a huge respect, of course, for Amy Semple McPherson as well. Not only a phenomenal preacher, but she started the Foursquare Movement. And she was also in theater, you know, so no, I shouldn't say even the Foursquare movement. She started the Foursquare Church. Um, so it's funny because some people in the Foursquare Church don't believe in women in leadership. And I and whenever it comes up, I'm like, uh, do you, you do know that the whole reason you have the Foursquare is because of a woman. Um, so, of course, she had an impact and her being very artsy. Mine that it came to mind was uh, the uh, principal of my grade school. That was when I went to Catholic school and it was a nun and her name was uh, Sister Sister Leonardo was her name. And what I would say about her was she was this really wonderful blend of how I see God, really. There was this justice, but this really nice compassion at the same time. She knew how to put that together in a very godly way. Those nuns know how to get it done. And that's what I love about her. And I love about, and I will say that I think we'll learn in our examples of, of biblical women, they also knew how to get stuff done. So I think they're carrying on a wonderful tradition. <laughs> and so as we continue to dissect what, how, what the role of women are in, or is, excuse me, in the church and what that debate is, I thought we'd first go into the Bible because that's where we get 
the truth of God's word. That's where that's our kind of our blueprint. So tell me, tell me some women that people can look to as an example of how to be leaders in the faith. We often start in the New Testament. You know, we kind of jump over all the examples in the Old Testament. And I think even more critical than that is we forget about Adam and Eve. You know, we forget about what it was like in the beginning when God first created, um, when things were good in God's eyes. And I think going back to Eve's example actually helps us more um, than picking passages out of context, for example. You know, Mm. so one quick thing I'll say about Eve is that, you know, it's men and women that are created in the image of God together. You know, I think we forget that we tend to um, I don't know if it's our individualism, our Westernism, but we tend to make it say you're created in the image of God. But in the Genesis text is men and women together. So I think that's very, very important um, because there's this level of partnership that we forget. Um, It's men and women that are called co-rulers or co-regions of the land, the sea and the air. Um, And then one final thing about Eve real quick is um, and I think Jenny could probably talk way more about this. But one thing that we have to admit um, is that our English language is not the first language of the Bible. And it kind of betrays us because there's sometimes you just don't get the nuance or even in this case, the true meaning of the word. Right. So we have in our text, you know, we most of us grew up reading the Bible. Um, Eve is the helpmate or the helper. You know, there's no way to spin that in our cultural context that doesn't say Adam's in charge. There's just no way to spin it. You know, if you and I started a business and I said I was your helper, like that means you're in charge. So the English betrays us there. But I think that like the actual Hebrew meaning of Ezer is something deeper. You know, it's someone who's equal. Um, it's someone who's created not from Adam's head or Adam's foot, but Adam's side. Um, and, and other times when it shows up in the Old Testament, it actually talks about God, right? It's um, a military ruler or someone who basically you need to to not only partner with you, but to bail you out, right? We take it that like, oh, she's the helper, so she's less than us. And in actuality, if she's the Ezer, you know, so for example, when David says, I lift my eyes up to the mountain, where does my Ezer come from? Like, he's not asking God to get his coffee. You know, he's not asking God to submit to him, you know, and like submit to me and give me ideas when I ask you to, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's very, very important that we understand that Eve from the very beginning and women from the very beginning, um, when God created things good, we were equals and we were helpers and we were partners. And that's how God created things to be. And I think once we establish that baseline, then we can talk about, hey, what happened after the fall? I'd love to build on that. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I thought for sure you were going to talk about Hulda because I know we both have. Well, that's my girl, but I just, I just give the yeah, baseline and I'm going to let you go. Yeah, I just give you a baseline. I know we got some love on Hulda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's my girl. People think, so if we understand Adam and Eve's creation and how they were meant to be, And then we apply that to what was taken from Eve and what was taken from Adam when the sin happened of eating, of course, the apple. Uh, The curse was he would toil over the ground. So the easiness of, you know, working with his hands. And then you add to that what was taken from Eve. What what was the curse that was put on Eve? The curse was that she would long for and, and strive to be in that position for her husband. If that's the curse, okay, if we believe that that's the curse that was on Adam and Eve, And I've heard prosperity teachers say the curse of sin was broken. Therefore, you don't have to toil for what God wants to give you and all this prosperity stuff. They have no problem with that. But they still think there's a curse on Eve. That the curse that was placed on Eve for her betrayal in the garden is still there. That the curse of sin is broken off of Adam, but it's not broken off of Eve. Let's start there and say right then and there, there is a massive problem with your theology. If you think the curse of sin did not cover Eve, only covered Adam. If you look at the word for man, it's ish. 
in Hebrew. And if you look for the, at the word for woman, it's Isha. There are two, there are three letters in each name. Okay. I want you to, hopefully you'll track with me on this. There yeah. are three letters in each name. In the name man, you have, you have one letter that's different. And the, in the name woman, you have one letter that's different, if that makes sense. So they both have share the shin and the aleph. Okay. They both share these two letters, the shin and the aleph. Those two words together spell Yah spell God. God is in them, but they each carry their own characteristics of man. The characteristic is a yod and it means a hand of woman. The characteristic is a hay and hay means breath. So that tells me right there in the spelling of their name, the unique characteristic that was assigned to man was his hands. So what does God say? You will work with your hands. Women work with their breath, with their mouths, or oh, just in their very names. You see the characteristic that God assigned was the hand to man and the breath to, to woman. That doesn't mean that a woman can't work with her hands and a man can't speak, but unique characteristics were given to them, which is why I believe that Satan went to Eve because Eve was the spokesperson. So while Adam was the hand of God. Woman was the breath of God, the voice of God. And that is why the snake went to deceive the very breath. So when the curse came in, the curse came to rob that breath from a woman because she betrayed her role as spokesperson by not believing the words of God. And again, when you see that the curse that came upon man was against his hands, the very unique characteristic God gave him, and against the woman, the, the, the power to speak. So when you are saying a woman doesn't have a right to speak, you are literally saying that, G, that the curse of sin is not broken over woman's life, only over man's. That's where I got my issue with that. Now, I could go from there into Hulda, because that's why, you know, Hulda was the prophetess, the prophetess that the, the uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, she was only the prophetess because there were no men around. That is a bunch of baloney. If you believe that stuff, you don't know your Bible, because Hulda prophesied at the same time as Jeremiah. It actually says that she prophesied in the same same time. Time, but they went to her to interpret not just the girly stuff, the word of God. The king went to her with the Torah and said, what does the Torah say? Oh my gosh, this is what the Torah says. And then you fast forward into the future. You can't even get to the temple without going through a gate that's called after a woman, that's named after a woman. And yet we want to say, God wants a woman to be silent. She's going to go to hell if she speaks. It is such broken, backed up, satanic theology. I'm telling you, it is literally, it is from Satan. We, you know, we've all been raised different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. And good. I have never been raised and I come from a very traditional, <laughs> I'm into, I freak you guys out. Like my mother never wore pants. I was raised. If a woman wore pants, hang on to yourself, Joseph and Hank, she was going to hell. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, because the Bible says it, right? So well, wear, women shouldn't wear men's clothing. Well, here's the thing. That's in Deuteronomy. But back when it was written, there wasn't no pants. Men didn't wear pants either. So well, they, there they, were trousers. There were trousers that they wore under there. Yeah, but they all wore dresses. But a lot of times it was robes. Yeah, it didn't even true. make sense to me. But I know. Is, you know, as I got around the prophetic, that it was never wrong for a woman to be able to speak the prophetic word. I was raised that, you know, you know, the, the man was always the head of the house. All right. The woman was the neck. So and, you know, I was always raised that that was a very tender place because we turned that head where it was supposed to go. So for us women, I was always raised that why it was so important that we be in the word because we are such strong. We, we know how to motivate. Can I say that? Some women do it in manipulation. Manipulate, some do it, yeah. <laughs> right? 
but either way, you, you can either do it in the spirit of God. Or what, but in my view, Jesus came along and he freed the woman. I mean, he was talking to women in a time when women were about this low. We were just a little mm -hmm. step ahead of the of the animals. Let's be mm -hmm. honest. The only thing that saved us is that we could birth babies and God helped the women that couldn't. It was not a good day for them. You know, but Jesus came along. He not only spoke to them, but would ask them a question that in return made them have to respond to him as a man. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just want to tell women all the time, anybody who's new women's lib and all this stuff, I'm like, honey, you need Jesus because Jesus was the freer of the women. The only thing we weren't supposed to do was to be in spiritual authority over a man. And, and that comes from? Well, from Timothy. From Timothy. Right? And of course, certainly from my from the Catholic tradition, we still don't have um, any women in necessarily. I mean, we have readers, we have teachers, we have we have we have certainly people that have come up in different positions, but certainly the spiritual authorities are still men, um, based on what they perceive as the model of Jesus, who picked seven, uh, twelve men to be his disciples. My sort of argument that I kind of have there sometimes is, well, didn't you think he knew what he was doing? Like if he came at this time in 2021, he might pick 12 women, you know, but he came at the time where 12 men were going to be really effective. Sure, It wouldn't have been acceptable for him to be traveling and sleeping and spending overnights out camping with a, bu a bunch of women. I, I think God is really a smart guy. So, you know, you know, I think sometimes I think he knows what he's doing. So that's, you know, he knew how to do it. I want to add something real quick. So I okay, think yeah. what's interesting. I love um, Jenny's um, interpretation of the distinguishing characteristics, because one of the things I say, so I, I become real smart Alec because people are just like when they hammer this stuff they're just like so zeroed in so I have to like yeah. you know let the air out a little bit so I tell them that like when you look at the Hebrew you know men is ish right and you look at Eve like I think Adam thought she was so beautiful all he could say was ah so it's like <laughs> so like with women is ish ah right like that's all he could get right oh, so I think funny. saying she's the breath of God is probably a little bit better than mine um, <laughs> but the other thing about Holda that I find really really fascinating though is that's that funny. like Josiah is calling the people back. Like this isn't like a small thing, right? Like this is after generations of turning away yeah. from God yeah. and no one else could answer. You know, we are problematic in that we say, well, it must be a major prophet because he wrote a lot of books, right? Or he must be minor because his book is small. Um, but Jeremiah either way is a pretty significant prophet in the time of Josiah. So we can't just skip over the fact that he went to her. And I think I would, and I make this argument that purposely that God has her in that time and purposely God has her husband as a tailor. Yeah, you know, her husband is basically a fashion designer. Keeper, yeah. And I find that hilarious because that I'm like, hilarious. People, well, just for people who are all about gender roles and blah, blah, blah. God's like, okay, yeah. we're going to make her the prophet and him the fashion designer. And good luck with that, people. Um, and I think that's beautiful. I really think that wasn't for the yeah. people back then. I think it's for us today to realize that, you know, God gifts all of us and we all have a role to play. And hold that, like Jenny said, I love that, like, you cannot get to the temple unless you go through the whole the gates. You know, a lot of people believe that Jesus himself on Palm Sunday enters in through the whole, uh, whole the gates. Yeah. And, and even to the point about the disciples, right? We can say he didn't pick 12 to follow him, but he didn't pick 12 that were designated disciples, right? Like we know there was women who paid oh, for yeah. his ministry. They may oh, not have been out on the road, but they literally oh, fed man. these people for three uh -huh. years. And then here's the other one. 
we can argue over what's the most significant thing that happened in the New Testament, but most of the New Testament writers would say resurrection. You know, we and, tend to run to the cross, but like a God dying is like, eh, actually raised from the dead. Like that's fairly significant. And I think it's interesting that in a culture um, back then that didn't value women, not only is Jesus uplifting women in his entire ministry and, and talking to them and giving them roles. I mean, you have people who are healed and then Jesus sends women back to be the apostle to their entire town. You know, we skip over all that part. But if right. the most important thing that happens in the New Testament is the resurrection, right? Who is the one, right, responsible for telling and being the voice of God to tell about the resurrection? Mary it's women, right? It's women. <laughs> and I think you can make the same argument if the what, what's the most important thing that happens in the, in the Old Testament? Arguably, it's the plight out of Egypt, right? And that doesn't happen without women. I mean, you have a time where the Egyptian pharaohs killing Israelite babies. So you have these midwives, Shipra and Pua, who I love, right? Sometimes you read the Bible and you just have to laugh, right? Yeah. Like, so Pharaoh's literally, yeah, Pharaoh's literally killing babies. Yeah. And they're like, hey, um, Shipra, like, what's happened to these Hebrew babies? How come you're not killing them? They're like, you know, Jewish women, you know, like the babies just come too fast. I would kill them, but they just that's come right. too fast, right? Yeah, right. So right. Moses literally doesn't survive without Shipra and Pua, and he doesn't survive without Miriam and Jochebed, his mother. Like, like that's fairly significant. Like, that's he doesn't happen without women being in leadership yeah. and being called by God. So if the most significant thing is led by women in the New Testament and the Old Testament, or at yeah. least the primary caregivers, or at least the primary movers and shakers, if you will, I think that should also inform us now into the role of women and how God can and is using women. Absolutely. And it's all through the Bible. God used women. I mean, come on, Romans, you've got Phoebe. She was a deacon. I mean, you've got Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, let's be honest about and it. Carolyn, if you, every time Priscilla and Aquila, almost 70% of the time are referred to, whose name comes first? Priscilla. Always. I would say 99%, Always. but yeah. I think it's about 70, 75%, exactly. but yeah. And you know, yeah. if you and if you read that scripture a lot, she was really, I mean, she was in it. She was bringing them back and training them. You know, I I think a lot of this too, and I'm going to say, because I still believe in submission to my husband. I want to, I mean, I'm, I'm all into it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it, in no way, I do not feel like the weaker vessel. And I mean, you go to Esther. I mean, it's one of my daughters, Olivia's. It's her favorite book of the Bible. This mm -hmm. is a beautiful, strong woman who was willing to stand in the gap, mm -hmm. a very brave woman. Let's just be honest. How many people would be willing to do what she did to stand up and fight? I mean, the, the Bible is so full. If people will read it, it's so alive of incredible stories of how Jesus really came along and got, right. and who was in the Bible? I'm having a blank right now that she was a, a prostitute and he came along. And oh, you said Jesus. You mean Hosea. Oh, you know, Hosea, yeah, Hosea married, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I love that story. I mean, yeah. goodness be, he's taking this woman right off the street. She's nothing better than been picked over, mauled over. And he goes and marries her, gives her the best of everything. The poor girl's self-esteem can't handle it. What does she do? She runs back because she can't handle it. But what did he do? He went back and he got her again. And here, all the way there, all the men are going, go get her. You know, make her a, you know, you you make her a, a, a totem for everybody of what not to do. And he's going back there the whole time going, I'm buying her back. 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to go. And it's such a representation of what Jesus did for us. Whether you're a man or a woman, man, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it doesn't matter where we come from. We are still worthy of that cross. Yeah. Well, but see, with that scripture, male or female, everyone quotes that one. Everyone loves that one. We all quote that one. But then we add an accept, except for a woman to be speaking in any authority over a man. Wait a minute. We just said there is no difference, right? Male or female. So we either believe that scripture or we don't believe it. There's we, we can't just say, well, we believe it except because then we can say, well, I believe that Jesus raised from the dead, except I believe that Jesus died for our sins, except no, we either believe that or we don't. So it leaves us with the problem of Timothy. And I just want to be sure we get into that. I don't want to lose yeah. any of our yeah, 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 yeah. Timothy, but I want to say to you first that women, as we're talking about them, we're not just okay, deacon. A deaconess was an ordained position. So you're talking about Priscilla and Aquila. They had church in Priscilla's house. And Aquila's house. She taught Paul. She was a what's referred to. He Paul refers to her as my co-worker. The same turn he ascribes to Timothy. He says, my co-worker. What does he mean by my co-worker? My co-laborer. She preached alongside of him. So if she preached alongside of him, she didn't just preach to women. She didn't just teach the Sunday school or teach the women's group. She was a respected leader. And I will tell you this. There are many biblical scholars that believe that uh, that she actually wrote the book of Hebrews. Now we can get into that in a bit. I want to get into this verse in Timothy, but yeah. there was actually a lot of credence to the idea that she wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, but I want to say this, women were in this position and we actually have a picture of women on a, um, you know, the little, the mosaic, yeah. a mosaic. Yeah, I was going to say a mosaic. Yeah. Here's the thing. Women were ordained teachers to men and women up until 360. Okay. What you what we're hanging our hats on in the church is not what was happening in the early church right. up until the council of Laodicea, Laodicea, not Nicaea, Laodicea is when they first said for the first time that any woman that was called an elder, elder or a priest. OK, women were called priests and elders up until then could no longer be ordained. So now we talk about the early church having all this wisdom and all this knowledge and we want to be like the early church. But the early church ordained women as priests, pastors, teachers. So in 360, they change it all. And we're all hanging our hats on what some men sitting around a room decided to change. These people are the same people that refused the Jewish uh, rabbis that were believers that came to the meetings of Laodicea and Nicaea, they were rejected from being allowed in the building. Okay. So these guys made decisions on their own of what should happen, but they base mm-hmm. it on, of course, that first Timothy. That's where everybody wants to hang their hat is first Timothy. So let's just read first Timothy. Let's just get mm-hmm. into it. I'm not afraid of the, of the verse. Let's talk about Come on. it. Come on. He Come said, on open that word, girl. Okay, so let's go first Timothy verse two. Let's start in verse uh, nine. In like manner, also the women adorn themselves, should adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair. I didn't braid my hair today. Uh, uh, gold or pearls. It's funny because people, women have no problem wearing that, but then they focus. I was going to say, I see a lot of that. <laughs> exactly. From the same churches, the pastor right. said women shouldn't speak, but his wife's got earrings on. Well, let's talk they about got it. A whole Yeah, yes. So what is proper for women professing godliness? But here we go. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now, this is the big one. Verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. 
Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness. So here's my first point. According to this verse, according to Paul, a woman who's barren, who cannot give birth on her own is going to hell. That's what Paul just said, according to the reading here. A woman will only be saved through childbearing. I'm so sorry, you women that were not able to have children. There is no hope for you. According to Paul, you cannot be saved. Now, thankfully, we can actually dissect what Paul really meant. And, and we also have to know too, let me back up real quick. Paul himself says that things can only be established on the witness of, what does he say, two or three? I have the verse there, but it's not in front of me. People never quote Jesus when it comes to women in leadership. Never, 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 never once do they quote Jesus. They don't quote the Old Testament. They don't quote any source. They quote this scripture. So Paul himself saying that things should only be established on two or three witnesses. You got one witness right here. Paul also establishes and tells people, do not call yourself a follower of Paul. You are a follower of Christ. And yet most Christians today are more focused on Pauline doctrine than on Christ doctrine. They would elevate it to a higher place without recognizing what Jesus's words were, were eternal. Paul also dealt with cultural issues of his day. Yes. The important key in this here is when he says a woman should be silent. Okay. The word here for silent is H-E-S-Y-X-I-A. I'm just going to spell it. How would you say that? Hey, Hesyxia. Hesyxia. I'm going to work on it. You keep going. Hesyxia. I'm going to work on it. Hesyxia. Okay. Google, Google Translate. And Google Translate for that. And it means quietness, calm. A God produced calm, which includes an inner tranquility that supports appropriate action. Okay. But the term does not mean speechlessness. Mm -hmm. Speechlessness is actually Sige, S I G E, it's Strong's 4602. And that means silence, utter silence. Mm -hmm. The first one is I, I require women to be calm. Okay. Not silent. The word for preach is keriso. Okay. And the word for teach is dida. Didasco, uh, didasco, didasco, yeah. Okay, and the word for speak that's used in this passage, I don't permit a woman to speak, is leilin. It means a calm, a serene kind of thing, not being a, a chatterbox. It means not to chatter. Never is the actual Greek word for preach or teach used in either of these passages. It's not. It's what he uses is leilin, which means to have chatter, to chatter in this situation. So if he never, if he, he doesn't use that word, why do we say that that's what he's saying? Because we have a problem with translation. Hmm. Now to the authority issue, I am with you on this and Kank, you may disagree and I would love to hear your perspective on it. This is just the perspective I've come from. I do believe that in most situations, God has chosen a man in the position of authority. I do believe it. I actually truly believe that. I believe in most situations because according to the old Testament line, the priest was always a man. So I believe that God has an order of things and chooses that. However, there are these women in the book of Numbers, I believe, called the Daughters of Zelophad. I don't know, Hank, if you've heard of the Daughters of Zelophad. So the Daughters of Zelophad, they go to Moses. Now Moses says, an inheritance shall pass from the father to the sons. So these women go to Moses and say, Moses, we got a problem. My father had no sons. He had only daughters. So if you're going to give the inheritance to our husbands, then it will transfer to their family line into their lineage. And we will never have an inheritance. My father's inheritance will be wiped out in the situation. Moses goes to God and says, what do I do? You've told me to give the inheritance to the sons. And God says this, what the women of the daughters of Zelophehad have spoken is a good thing. 
In the situation where there are no sons, let the inheritance be given to the daughters. In my personal situation, I come from a long line of pastors. I come from pastors, from, from senior pastors. There were no sons in our family. Mm -hmm. Levitically speaking, according to the Old Testament, before even Jesus had to free women, according to the Old Testament, I have the right actually to step into that role of pastor because the inheritance would be lost since there were no sons. So, so in Levitically speaking, before we even go to the New Testament, I actually have the right of authority in that situation. I truly do. I honor my husband. We talked about that on another program. Well, I do yeah. believe that he's the head of the household. I do believe most situations should be a male senior pastor. I actually believe that. But I believe the teaching that says a woman can never be one does not line up with biblical history. It doesn't line up with early church theology, and it actually doesn't line up when you break down the Greek and you look at the hermeneutics of the whole hermeneutics, sorry, of the whole teaching. It doesn't actually line up with Paul because Paul was actually defending Priscilla's right to speak. But if you read the words from the interlinear, he actually says, you probably heard this one. The women in the churches, let them not be silent for it is allowed for them to speak. Well, well, and that's that's what I was saying that it, there's, there's no one in the world that said that the women can't prophesy. The women were prophetic back then. They said the women were to be allowed to speak. I wanted to add something that you said to that first Timothy. I have heard something before that who Timothy was speaking to was in that time, a woman used to sit back while people were teaching and would like talk over them. Mm -hmm. well. And that when he was saying not to speak, a lot of things he was saying is you got to learn to be quiet and, and sit while people are trying to learn. Right. Just be respectful. And no offense, that'd be like any of you or any of us trying to yeah. teach somebody just talking over top of us. I mean, that is so annoying. It's like, give me a break and then have your moment, but let me speak. And so mm -hmm. I have heard that also before is that that's what he was saying was women, you just got to learn because we've even said, I mean, let's look at Proverbs 31 woman. She said that having counted all the costs, that's how it starts out. Mm hmm. Having counted all the cost, then she considered the field and she bought it. But the Bible, it showed her a businesswoman. She counted all the cost. What was it going to cost her home? What was it going to cost her family? What was it going to cost her marriage? What was it going to cost her children? She counted all the cost. Then she considered the field and she bought it. And the husband called her blessed. Hmm. Come on. That, that is our biblical standard of what a woman is. That is not a woman who's sitting back, not thinking, silent. Mm -hmm. She's, and the husband still called her blessed, but I think it's because she knew how to quiet her spirit, not to not be boisterous and excited, you know, not to be able to bring, he just wanted us to not be, you know, complainers, dripping faucets, manipulators, not know how to be respectful. And I think that as women, Somewhere we've let go of our power and we've thought that the power comes from in, you know, our attitude and how loud we get instead of bringing it back. And I love to be, he's really training us how to be a great negotiator. That's exactly what I think it goes down to is I think 
even when we talked about in a relationship, and I think a re relationship and a man and woman dynamic versus authority in the church is a little different too. And I think yeah. we've made that distinction over the last yeah. couple of shows too. But I think it all teaches you about respect, respecting each other and respecting this kind of symbiotic relationship where you're going to support each other. Yes, he, he'll he take the lead here and she could take the lead, but it's, it, it's about uplifting each other. I mean, but we've, in our translations, we've just totally messed, messed up that concept of how really we can uplift both genders so well. And that's what we're, we're taught throughout the Bible and uh, uh, specifically from the example of Jesus, I think. Yeah, I mean, the early church was definitely, uh, they were radical in their promotion of lifting up women. <laughs> it, it was, it was radical. And, and you know, when it was, it was when you saw the transition go to Rome and then that's when the thinking began, the women are rebellious. We need to start this kind of thinking, this idea against women wow. in leadership when clearly, uh, is it uh, not Julia? Who was it? Starts with a J. Junius. Junia. J-U-N-I-A. J-U-N-I-A. And which some people said, oh, well, that was a man. Cause it says Junia was a chief amongst the apostles. Because mm -hmm. you want to talk about authority, calling Junia chief amongst the apostles. So some people didn't know what to do with that scripture. So, so later, changed the name. To, and to a man, it's yeah. a man. But there's not one example of the actual spelling of Junia's name as a male. It's always a female in every Roman really? text, mm -hmm. every single time. It got changed because they did. That's why we got to go do our homework about things. No, this is good for people to know. You, yes. That's why, because you look at Timothy and you read a scripture like that and you look at what Paul says and go, wait a minute, something's wrong. This seems counter to what Paul said in other passages. There's neither male nor female. So this doesn't make sense. So whenever something doesn't make sense, we got to go deeper. Why right. does it not make right. sense? And so when you see these cultural kind of things, like them changing the name of a woman because she was chief among the apostles, and we don't know much about her, but all of history in Rome shows you that every time that name was written, it was ascribed to a woman. Mm -hmm. that opens up a whole world to us. But we have people going, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. No, I believe what Paul said. I don't care what my person told me in my church. I'm right. Without even doing any homework, we immediately shut down. And this doesn't just apply to stuff with women. This goes into so many areas right. of the gospel where we want to hold so strong on a doctrine and this one area. I, okay, but what does the word really say? Yes, now, yes. not that we don't stand on the word, but right. I'm talking about when the word contradicts what our soul might sort of feel, mm -hmm. not our feelings, not our culture. I'm talking about that stuff that you go, this doesn't seem to make sense. Why don't we go deeper and explore? Right. Why don't we look at the great? Go ahead, Hank. Well, I was going to say, I think it's important to like, as we have these discussions too, is to realize that like, we got to give each other grace and know that like, yeah. we just have to do that work of going deeper. Yeah. And it's going to take some people time, but I just think we have to be willing to do the work, right? Jenny was talking about the two or three witnesses. Like, that's not something that, you know, Paul invented in Corinthians. That shows up in Deuteronomy too. Right. So like, and then I think that's the other thing we forget, right. right? Like, Timothy himself doesn't come to faith without women. Exactly. You know, like Paul actually praises his mom and grandmother and calls them basically like beacons of the faith. And be like, and that, I mean, in essence, that's how he introduces Timothy to the world. It was just like, oh yeah, that's Timothy. Yeah, he wouldn't be here without his mom and grandma. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that it's really, really important for us to look at that. And, and we keep quoting these women. It's read Romans 16. Like there's tons of women leaders yep. all throughout Romans 16. Like you're reading yeah. them and you're like, oh, like, yeah. so it's one thing if you're just like, okay, hold up. Uh, you know, but when you read through Romans 16, you might count six, seven, eight, nine yeah. women in leadership. And yeah. it's hard then to come out of that and be like, 
yeah, Paul just didn't believe this, right? Like, I think one of the hardest things that we have to do with scripture is to figure out what's happening in a culture that we're so removed from, what's happening to that church that he's writing to, and then we ask, how does it apply to us? I think sometimes the fault that we do is we start with, how does it apply to us? You know, and like, obviously, scripture is beautiful. We read it for our own edification, all that. But like, if you start with how does this apply to me, you might actually miss the meaning of what's right. being said and what's being discussed. And and on the, the issue of um authority, I mean, I, I honestly, I go, I go back to Genesis for that, too. You know, like, I think Adam and Eve were created co-rulers. So for me personally, I, I see the passage, yeah, women submit to your husband. Yeah, but it also says husbands, you know, like, love your wife as Christ yes. loves the church. And I've yet to see a passage where Christ lords his authority over women. I've yet to see, I mean, he was willing to die for the church, you know, and I feel like we need to remember that, like, and I mean, other parts in Ephesians actually says submit to each other, you know? So for me, I think it's important in marriages to, to teach meritocracy. Like, that's the only way I can put it. Like, like I, I've worked with couples where, like, the wife will be a CPA at a Fortune 500 company, and the man will be like, well, I should be in charge of finances because I'm the man. I'm like, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> like, like, no, you shouldn't. Like, especially because I know you're spending habits. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, so I think that's the, the key thing here is this mutual submission and knowing where each other is good, you know? So I think how do we collaborate? And I think when we talk about women in ministry, we have to also come back to this word collaboration because God desires to use all of God's children. And most churches in the world, I think still to this day, are majority women, you know? So I feel very, very uncomfortable if we're, you know, go back to Jenny's example of um, women are supposed to represent the breath of God, right? Like, I feel very, very uncomfortable if we start putting these barriers on based on one or two readings in Timothy that go against... how women have always operated, you know, from that early church experience. Read Romans 16 and you cannot say Paul had a problem with women in authority. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up. When he talks about Phoebe and he calls her a deacon, the word for deacon, um, and you might say better than me, Hank, is diakonos, diakonos. And diakonos, literally that word, I did good. Okay, good. That word literally has no gender distinction. So where some words will have a gender distinction, you know, you, you know, some words can be for a male and some words in another language for female. Diakonos or konos has no gender distinction. And it clearly points to a role of a woman in leadership over a church. She was over a church. And so that kind of answers that question of, well, yeah, but can a woman have a leadership authority role? That's, that's- Clearly, it is saying that it's established. Paul speaks of these things. And again, you know, going back to the idea of Hebrews was written by Priscilla, which again, we don't have time to dissect the whole thing, but I don't know if you've ever heard this, Hank. There is a lot of precedence because it sounds like Paul's voice, but it was not written in Paul's hand very clearly. A lot of the language usage is very different. The other thing about Hebrews is it's the only book that when referring to, when the author refers to themselves in the personal pronoun, the author uses the word we. We, and if you notice, Priscilla is always listed with Aquila. So why would you have we? It's the only leader in the role that would have been in that we thing. She was the closest, her and Aquila were the closest to Paul, so could have Paul's voice. She writes to the church in uh, the church, uh, to the Hebrews, the church in Italy greets you. And if you know, you know, the history that the, a lot of the Jewish, the Hebrews were expelled from Italy at the time. So she's most likely, if it is her writing to the church that began in her house, the people that got expelled to say, I desire to be with you. 
because she was the mama. She was the leader of that church. And so, I mean, there's so much precedence to the idea that it can be her, even the fact that it's not given, that Hebrews is not given a, an author. It's one, I think it's like the, one of the only books that an author or of the, in the New Testament that doesn't say, are of the letters, that doesn't say like, you know, it's me, I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you for me. It doesn't have that designation. And the reason it would be that way is because there was a cultural issue in some circles, especially in, in Rome as well, against women. So that would be why the name wouldn't be ascribed because it might've gotten less attention. It might've gotten less whatever, but that whole we distinction is a big thing. So that in itself, Hebrews is one of the greatest books in the Bible. The only thing I would add too is that like, again, context, right? Like most people wouldn't argue with you if you say Paul is the most learned New Testament scholar. Like most people won't fight that. Like they might have their own favorites, but like it's hard to deny he wrote like over half, right? Like. Right. Yeah. He's like our number one scholar, which is why we, we come back to this, right? But there's also no argument who's Paul's like superior and teacher was, you know? And it was Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla you know, like it, it shows up in Acts. It shows yep. up in Timothy. Right. It shows up in three or four other ver um, chapters, I think, um, talking about Priscilla and Aquila. I think it shows up in Romans. I think now it's the third one. And maybe even Corinthians, right? Mm -hmm. So like literally these, like as much yeah. as, you know, you don't have Timothy without Eunice and Lewis, like his mother and grandmother, you mm -hmm. don't have Paul without Priscilla, you know? And I think that's maybe also part of the reason why, like, she doesn't say, yeah, she says we, but then also, like, she doesn't need to say it, too, because people knew who she was. Like, I think that's the tricky part right. for us, is that, like, if Paul's our number one scholar and she's his teacher, like, how can we then say, like, she has no authority? Now let's talk about the fullness of prayer. I, I want to encourage you today, according to what scripture tells me over in the book of Philippians. In Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, don't be anxious about anything. And so maybe today you might be anxious or you have something that is concerning you. But the scripture says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That means we can pray to God. Remember I said that's communicating with God. And so supplication means that we're being specific with God and what we're believing God for, what we're trusting God for. And then it says with thanksgiving, giving that when you pray and you're specific, begin to thank God that he is going to work it out. Begin to thank God that what you're praying for, you will see the manifestation of it come to pass. And then it goes on to say in verse seven of Philippians four, verse seven now, and the peace of God which surpasses your understanding, meaning that when you talk with God, when you communicate with God, whether individually, spontaneously, corporately, you know, unorganized prayer, however you do it, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, meaning sometimes you won't even understand how you have peace after you finish praying with God. It says, we'll guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the scripture is letting us know in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, that when we pray, there's a peace that will come over us. Our heart will be guarded, not our heart that pumps blood, but the way we think, how are we rationalizing the situation? And so I want to encourage you today, don't be afraid of prayer. Don't allow it to be a legalistic thing. Just talk to God. Let it be spontaneous, unorganized. It can be you by yourself praying or call a prayer partner, someone to pray with you. But just know this, that when you pray, 
being specific with God, begin to thank him and know the peace of God, which will surpass your understanding, will come in and show up in your life as you wait for the promises of God to manifest. I love you guys. Well, we really did have a great discussion today about women in ministry and women in leadership in ministry. In fact, it was so good, we didn't even have enough time to finish the whole discussion. So we're going to keep that conversation going over the next few episodes. You'll see the conversation continue amongst the four hosts as well as a guest. And we look forward to giving you more information, history, and theology about women in ministry. We are so excited to do this. Stay right here with The Full Life.